Amen. You can be seated. Thanks, team, for that worship set. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the limitless nature of God's love and how that also means that our calling to love has no limit. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. We bear the fruit of love in our lives, and there's no limit to the number of people we can love. In fact, the, there's no limit to the ways in which we might love people. And the more we reckon with that, the more possibilities kind of open up to us. I think sometimes we get caught in a scarcity mentality uh, when we think about our lives, when we think about how we can serve God or what we can do or what we have in our hands, and we, we see limitation around us. And I would submit to you that we're calling that a limitation, but it's really a barrier. Barriers can be overcome. A limitation, you would say, you can't go past that line, and I would say, well... When it comes to the kingdom of God and the love of God and the power of God, there's no limitation. There may be barriers we face that we work hard to overcome, but uh, you and I don't ever get to the point where we would say, you know what, we've, we've reached the cap. We can no longer love anyone else. Uh, or we, we, we never get to the point where we've checklisted enough people where we say, you know what, Jesus, I loved like 35 people. I'm done. Now I get to live for me. Uh, no, we never get to that place either, right? There's always one more out there that we can extend God's love toward. There's always one more opportunity out there that we can take advantage of to share His grace and His light with the world. So th there are a few things in the Scripture that are limitless. Love is one of those. Another one that we'll walk through today is growth. And I thought a redwood tree would be a great picture of limitless growth, at least from our small human perspective, right? You look at those redwoods out in California, and it just seems like they're monsters, right? They just keep growing and growing, and uh, certainly dwarf um, just about everything else that would be on earth as far as the age they can live and the size they can maintain. Uh, it's really amazing. Um, of course, when it comes to comparing that level of growth with the power of God, you say, well, even the redwood tree is just a little, little blip on the radar screen compared to God's power and ability. So when I think about growth, think about it in a few different categories. There, there's, of course, there's church growth, and that would be how do we grow the body of believers and overall, like globally, how do we grow the number of people who hear the gospel about Jesus and become a part of his family? But then there's personal growth. There's discipleship growth inside of you your next steps of following Jesus, your opportunities to obey Jesus. And there again, just like love, I would say we never hit a cap on what's possible. There's never a day when you would say, I think I've arrived. I think I'm officially 100% the way Jesus was. Uh, no, we would say no, there's always more, right? There's always a way to get to know God better. There's always a way to step forward in faith somehow. There's always a next step. And so our growth trajectory never needs to be down. It always can be up. Okay? So I'd like to unpack that a little bit for you in the Bible and show you three specific kinds of growth that we find. And note that all of them start with a decision. So growth is always a choice. Sometimes I think that we limit ourselves because we'll think of growth as something that happens almost magically out there. I would say it happens mystically, we'll get into that, but it's not magic. There are things that we do that cultivate growth. If we don't do them, we won't grow. If we do do them, in all likelihood, we will grow. 
there are still miracles involved, okay? There's an interesting tension that the Bible sets up for us in how we trust God for growth, but we do the things that lead to growth as a church and as individuals, okay? So let's, uh, let's unpack it a little bit. First of all, the first of the three kinds of growth is kingdom growth. Now, kingdom growth, you have to think way beyond just this church, this organization, your life, your family. When we're talking about God's kingdom growing, we're talking about that on a global, sort of history-wide scale. So that the purposes of God can be fulfilled in ways that we don't understand, that we don't expect. Movements can start, things can change, and suddenly you realize the kingdom is growing. Okay? Now, we're all a part of that, and the choices we make as individuals do have something to do with the kingdom growing. Okay, so we're not passive. We're very active in the kingdom's growth. But we would also say it's a lot bigger than you or me or anything we're ever going to do as individuals. We're just a part of it, and we say, Lord, thank you for including us in the really big things you're doing across history and across the world. Okay, here's what Jesus said about that kind of growth. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and the birds come and make nests in its branches. Now, pictured there is black mustard, and the theory is that that's the kind of mustard seed that the farmers of Jesus' day in that time would have been looking at. And for them, it was the smallest seed they had available. But it grew to something sort of the size of a sunflower, so six feet tall, sometimes nine feet tall, and it's just an annual, okay? So it's the biggest garden plant that they had. It started with the smallest seed they had, and it had the biggest result of what they could compare it to. And Jesus looked at those plants, and he said, the kingdom of heaven is like that. Okay? Here's another thing Jesus said about kingdom growth. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters his seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. But he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through, and then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. As soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. Okay, and even now, a couple thousand years after Jesus said this, with all of our scientific know-how, we would still look at a seed. I don't know if you do this. When I see a seed that I planted sprout, I always think about, how did that actually happen? It still seems sort of miraculous, like I could... I guess I could read a textbook and figure out what's happening, but it still seems like there's a quality about that that I don't understand, and yet somehow I'm actively involved in it happening. Because if I didn't plant the seed, it wouldn't sprout. But then here comes this miracle when it actually sprouts, and you say, well, was it because of your ingenuity or uh, how great of a farmer you are that 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 seed sprouted? Well, no, there's sort of a miracle involved in that. So a little bit of tension to maintain there. Here's one other text about kingdom growth, and this is what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church as they were arguing with each other about what leader to follow. So some of them were saying, I follow Paul, because I'm really on, I'm on Paul's team. Somebody else said, no, Apollos is the one that led me to Christ, I'm going to follow Apollos. And then the super spiritual people all stepped back, stroked their beard, I don't know if they had pipes, but maybe they had a pipe, and they said, ah, I follow Jesus. And Paul said, all of that is silly. Here's how it really works. Each of us did the work that the Lord gave us. 
right? We're not going to divide up and say who's better than the next leader. No, everybody had a job to do. I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it. It was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. Okay, do you need people to plant? Yes. Do you need people to water? Yes. Can either of those people take credit for the seed growing? Not really, right? So you've got this, again, this is that dynamic where here we are, we're working hard, but also God is adding his power, and that's how the kingdom grows. So here's a couple observations about the global growth of the kingdom of God, whether you're talking about Berrien Center, Michigan, or India, or Africa, or Russia, or anywhere else where the church is starting to grow, we would say, well, our hard work is required, so nothing out there is happening on autopilot. People are working, people are giving, people are serving, some people are even sacrificing to make things happen. Okay, but God's power is required. So people could work really hard and accomplish nothing at all for the kingdom. It only works, the seeds only sprout when the Holy Spirit is involved. Okay, and then we find out that we can't always explain this kind of growth or repeat it. So you could study the movements of the past and you could say, wow, look at how that worked. Let's try that. And it wouldn't work now. Uh, and, and then maybe something that we would all say, there's no way that idea will ever happen. That won't work. And somebody tries it and it blossoms and you go, okay, you know, that it certainly wasn't the way we thought it would work, but here God's power was involved and things went a new direction. So we all get to be a part of kingdom growth. To me, that's really exciting. It means any setback you face, any barrier in your own way to doing what you think is your next step, that's minimal compared to the global kingdom of God that you're a part of and that I'm a part of. So all of us get to approach life and say, wow, I'm a part of something that literally has no limitations. Okay, that's, that's what we're involved in. Secondary to that, if you were to zoom down from the kingdom, now you'd be looking at a church, our church. Say a church is a local body of believers. It's a smaller group of the global body of believers that would be the church with the capital C. Okay, So there's the church out there, all the people who follow Jesus, and then there's our church, a small part of that. So our church is tasked with growing as well. Say, well, what does the Bible teach about church growth when it comes to a local body of believers like ours? Well, actually, quite a bit. Okay, So we'll look at a few verses here. For this part, I'd love for you to turn in your Bible with me to a couple scriptures uh, just to see how this develops. And also, I want to leave, leave a little assignment in your heart about this, not just to read these, but to go back later and ask, why were these things happening? Okay, the first one we find is in Acts chapter 2. In Acts 2, which we read last summer, as a church family, we learn that the, 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 that first church, the first group of Christian believers, started immediately experiencing dynamic growth, even to the point where it says every day there were new people. Now, I, to me, as one who, like, I, I can't, I don't know if I can imagine what that would feel like. Here in our church, over the last few months, we've experienced some growth. That's really exciting. And so there's a variety of people that not, not all of us know each other because some of us are newer into the mix, right? And so you kind of have trouble remembering, remembering names. Imagine here if every day there were all sorts of new people entering the front door 
and you're just trying to keep up with all the people to love, to care for, to get to know their name, to connect in. Uh, Here's what happened in the book of Acts. It says in verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped the Lord at the temple every day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Okay, so what a dynamic, exciting church that sounds like, what it would have been to be a part of that. So a great study question is to go back and say, well, what caused that last verse to be the case? God made it grow, so we give God the glory for all the seeds that are sprouting, but what were they doing that led to a scenario where that kind of growth could happen? Okay, it's a good question to ponder. Here's the next one to look up, Ephesians chapter 4, which is a, a scripture we've used somewhat as a theme for BCBC over the last few years, just trying to define who we are and where we're going, what's important. Ephesians 4, we'll start reading in verse 11. Paul writes, Now these are gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. So he kind of takes all those leadership and inspirational gifts there, and he says, all right, God gave those sorts of people to the church because there is a growth plan. Look at the next verse. Their responsibility is to equip God's people, that's all of us, to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every new wind of teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Okay, so there's this big picture thing going on here where God gives the church the opportunity to be led toward all this effectiveness. And if you didn't see yourself in the text, I would challenge you to look a little bit more closely at verse 16. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. So you are one of those, okay? So you have a part to play, I have a part to play. Together, as we all do our part, the body grows. And the vision is that it's healthy, growing, and full of love. So you say, wow, that sounds great. That's what we want to be a part of. Okay, well, good study question, good thought to ponder is, well, what would lead to that outcome? Okay, if you back up in the text and just say, well, what's the recipe to ending up with a church that's healthy, growing, and full of love? Okay, the last one is in Acts chapter 6. Okay, if you turn over there, you'll see that this is the first time that the growing first century church had to deal with some capacity problems. They needed some systems. So you imagine here in Acts 2, they're growing every day. I mean, there's just so much momentum and so much excitement. And and as they're growing, they're also accumulating people. And what do we know about people? People are not perfect. People bring their needs. They bring their problems. And so if you get bigger and bigger groupings of people, you've got more and more needs among those people. 
So one of the things that was a common need in their day was that the widows did not have enough food. So I would imagine even for our church right now today, if, if we noticed that that was a big problem, we would swing into gear and we'd create some sort of a program to make sure the widows had food, right? So they, they did that. Well, as they started to administrate that program, suddenly you've got people like Peter and James and John who are supposed to be out there multiplying discipleship, stressing out about food deliveries and who gets what and, you know, are settling complaints and things like that inside this program. And they go, whoa, 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 we're going to have to multiply our leadership team for this to work. There's no way that just a handful of people can do everything. So we need to stand up more leaders. So they did, Acts 6. They appointed more leaders. They prayed over them. They commissioned them to lead that, that part of the church. And they, they did. And then what was the result of that growth of administration? Well, God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. So here you have, within a church body, there are both the spiritual dynamics of growth and the administrative dynamics of growth that are important. Right? You can't ignore them. If we're going to fulfill our mission, we have to be thinking like, oh, Lord, how do, we, how do we grow? So I've been able to serve in church leadership teams now for a few decades, and also in some of the other roles that I've played along the way, I've gone out to other churches to help advise their leadership teams with various things. And I would say, like, at least from my limited experience, the number one barrier in front of churches when it comes to their growth is not the world around them. The world around them is full of need, full of curiosity. There's all sorts of interest out there. So I would not flag that as the number one issue churches face. The number one barrier churches face is their own mentality about the barriers. It's their own thinking that locks them in. And so when they think of something like limitless growth, and then they go, but then they look at their building and they go, oh, wow, I've got, like, we're in these walls. I don't think we can grow a whole lot bigger because this is our space. Um, or they, they'll think about the, the challenges in their system that they've got and they'll say, well, we can't grow past that system because our, whatever, our document says we can only have five leaders or something. And say, whoa, 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 the, the, those are self-imposed barriers that can be worked through. The kingdom is supposed to endlessly grow. And any, any one church should never reach a point where it says we're done growing. There would, always be this, there would always be an open door to make one more disciple, to love one more person, to care for one more type of person, to open up one more opportunity for the gospel. And so you would never come to the end of that story. You would always be saying, Lord, what is our next step of growth? Right? So it's kind of exciting to think that way. Because even the barriers that seem like they loom large on our radar screen today aren't actually limitations, they're just barriers. We work through them. So I went to a church growth conference some, some number of years ago, and the first session, uh, the speaker got up and introduced a concept that for me has, it's sort of just stuck in my mind over and over again, and it's really challenging. Okay, I think actually a few, of you were, a few of you were there with me in this situation. But he said, what is your goal for your church numerically? So, you know, everybody kind of gets some things in mind. And in different categories, you know, well, how many kids do we want to have in our church, or how many people can fit in our building, how many life groups should we start, all, all those kinds of things. He said, whatever your goal is, I want you to multiply it by 10,000 and tell me if it's possible. Okay, so what does that force you to do? First of all, you're going to have to think global, right, to be able to multiply. So for us, like in our church, one of our, one of our goals that we have around here is as far as a next step, it's not the end, it's just a step, 
is what would it take for us to grow to be a church of about 500 people who meet here every Sunday? So we're well on the way toward that goal. Okay, but if you, if you go, okay, now let's multiply that times 10,000, uh, pretty soon you realize that's not just our church adding people. That's not even just our community. That's bigger than our whole area, right? So that would be how would we grow the kingdom globally by you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people? What would that take? That's the kind of thinking. You start with the mustard seed, you expect the large growth, the large plant. Uh, so for me, thinking that is, has been challenging because it, it kind of forces you to blow, to blow past your perceived barriers and recognize that what God has all of us involved in is not maintaining a small organization. And it's not actually trying to grow a big organization. That's not what we're about to begin with. We're actually about the kingdom advancing globally. And so we would say anything else that's going on is just a means to the end. It's just a tool we're using to try to be effective. And so, Lord, if we need new tools to be more effective, show us where those tools are. We want to walk that direction. Okay, our calling to grow the church is limitless. There are always more people to reach out to and love. This occurs through both addition and multiplication. And I think it's addition that trips us up because that's kind of like the, the good robbing us of the best where when all of our dreams are about adding and we don't think about multiplying, uh, we, we get stuck. So we say, Lord, we, we, of course we want to add. We always want to make room for one more. But Lord, how do you want us to multiply discipleship and multiply churches and see your kingdom grow, not just right here, but through this place, how can we grow out and to new places? All right, then there's personal growth. And this is what I'd like you to walk home with today. Because it's, it's, it's great to believe in kingdom growth. And I don't know about you, I think it's a lot of fun to think about church growth and how do we create the right environment for that to happen. But if we're not personally growing as disciples, I don't think we'll get to be a part of those other two things at all. Your walk with Jesus has a next step. You have a growth plan that God wants for you. So before you worry about how everything else is going, start in your own heart. Say, Lord, what are you calling me to do? I believe there's no limitation on your personal growth. So here's what the Bible says about that. Peter was writing in his second letter. He had said, you know, God's given us everything we need for our lives uh, to, to follow him. He's given us promises to cling to. He said, so I want you to add to your faith some virtues. I'm going to add to your faith goodness and knowledge and love. And he walks through this in First Peter or 2 Peter chapter 1. And then he says, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? The more that you decide to step forward with intentionality, the more growth is possible. And the more you grow, the more productive you can be, the more you can accomplish for the kingdom, the more you can be a part of the bigger story. Okay? Peter ended that same letter with this line. He said, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, all glory to him both now and forever. Now, when Peter wrote this, he was writing to likely groups of churches in whole regions. And so he wasn't just writing that to new believers who had just come on board. He was writing that to everybody. So even the most seasoned saints among his readers were still being challenged to grow in your knowledge, uh, grow in your faith. Don't be content with where you've been. Recognize you have a next step. There's more there is a frontier still to cross. There's a horizon out there. You keep walking toward it. 
Okay, so our calling toward personal growth is limitless. There's always that next step of obedience, learning, virtue, becoming more like Jesus. So say, okay, how would we make that really practical? Like, what do we go home with to do? If you believe that growth is important, you say, I would like to be a part of that, but I also have, I don't know, all these pesky things around me, like responsibilities and pressures and stresses and a whole bunch of things that seem like they're preventing me from even having time to think about any of this. How will I grow? So I'll give you just a few questions that you can ask. You can pray and say, Lord, how, how do you want me to take my own next steps? And then for our church family, you pray, Lord, how do, how do we all take next steps together? Okay, here's the first one. Why do I want to grow? So we're taking it as a given here uh, that this is favorable to everybody, right? We're just talking about it as if it is, but it's helpful to just reflect, like, what, what do we gain by growing? Um, and what, why is this something that would be a commitment in our hearts? Why do you want to be more like Jesus tomorrow than you are today? Why is it important that there's one more person that needs to be reached, that we bring them in and have a place for them? Like, why, why does all that matter? Consider that. Pray about that. Have a strong sense of why this matters. That's going to motivate you through the hard work that will be involved in growing. Okay, second one, what conditions are needed? So I think about some plants as they're growing, they, um, they could grow, you know, I don't know, endlessly is exactly the right word, but they could grow quite a bit, but if they don't have some sort of a trellis or a wire or something to grow on, they're just going to be sort of stifled and a big mess on the ground, right? So grapes are like that. Um, snap peas might be like that. There's a few things that, you know, you kind of look at them if they're just laying on the ground, you go, well, it still kind of works, but it, it, boy, that thing could grow a lot more if there, was, if there was a little bit of infrastructure for it to grow on. So churches are a lot like that, right? The systems, the, the buildings, the plans we have, those things aren't inspired by God. Those things aren't, well, we could change those if we need to, but they are the trellis that, that the growth will happen on, and so you want to attend to that as well. So you say, what conditions are needed? Probably, if you're a savvy gardener, you don't take your seed out in the spring and just throw it on your driveway, right? Why not? Well, because the driveway is not really ideal conditions for you to have a lush crop. Uh, other than weeds, which somehow figure out how to make it through driveways, the stuff we would wish would grow does not grow on the driveway. Uh, no, it needs to be tilled up. It needs to be prepared. It needs to be fertilized. There's some work involved in making the conditions right. So in our church, we would say, well, what are the conditions for growth? It needs to be friendly. We need to have, you know, things need to be clear. Things need to be obvious. Things need to be well attended to. Maybe very personally, if you're saying, what are the conditions for my own growth as a disciple? Say, I've got to have time in my schedule to look at the Bible and to pray. I, I, have to, I have to be with other people who are following Jesus so that I can be encouraged or else I know I won't grow. Like you, you have to set the conditions for that growth to occur. Okay, another great question to ask and reflect on is what barriers in the way? What, what prevents you from your next step of growth? Um, maybe, it's a, maybe there's a bad habit in your life and you would say, you know what, it's, that's my barrier. You know, for decades, I've had the same answer, and I, I'm not like proud of saying this, but I'll just be honest, I've had the same answer when somebody says like, oh, what are your weaknesses, or what do you need to work on, or what's kind of wrong in your life that we can pray about? I feel like I always had pretty much the same answer, self-control. Um, you don't have to raise your hand if you're with me, but I would always say, wow, if I had more self-control, it feels like anything would be possible. There'd be all sorts of great stuff, but, but wow, self-control is the problem, right? It's 
So, so th there it is. If there's some sort of bad habit that has you out of control, that's probably limiting your growth, your ability to take a next step. You might look church-wide, and you could identify, you could kind of look around and go, well, what are, some, what are some of the barriers in the way? Maybe there's missing pieces. Maybe there's things that aren't quite right. If we, if we could work through those, we would be in a place where then now the barrier is swept away, and we're back to the, back to the growth trajectory. Okay, when, it's, when we think about growth, we also could ask this question, what choices do I need to make? What is the choice you need to wake up tomorrow and make that you didn't make today? So I think about you know, thousands of choices we're all making all the time. Uh, choices about attitude, choices about reaction to things, choices about use of media, choices about who we hang out with, choices, just, there's just, just, you can make a list a mile long and you get really granular. There's so many choices we're making. So what are the choices that we need to make on purpose to grow? It'd be a great question to reflect on. Okay, and then here's the last one. What can I learn from others who have grown? Now, I don't think anybody's fully grown. Everyone has a next step because this is limitless. But there are definitely people who are further down the, the track than we are, right? So if we think about it church-wide, we'd say there's churches that have crossed growth barriers that we haven't come up against yet. Would it make sense to talk to those churches as we think about how we grow? Of course. Um, when it comes to your own personal growth, you might, have, you might say, I've been following Jesus for a few years. Well, who's pouring into your life that's been following Jesus for a few decades? Because they probably have perspective on growth that would really help you accelerate yours. Uh, maybe, maybe today's your first day. You say, I, I, almost anybody in the room could probably help me. That's great. You always want to be thinking, how am I learning and who am I learning from so that I can grow. So I wanted to leave you with an encouragement about this. I know it's a lot to chew on. Kingdom growth, church growth, personal growth, next steps. Um, I have a twofold encouragement. One is to really decide in your heart to let go of the idea that your barriers are limitations. I think there's a difference. A barrier you can work around, you can sweep away. You can climb over. A limitation is a fixed reality. You can't get past it. I, I really don't think we as disciples or we as a church have any limitations. We just have some barriers. And there always will be a few barriers out ahead. We say, Lord, give us the faith to cross those when we come to them. Uh, give us the wisdom that we'll need to cross those when we come to them. But we don't want to limit ourselves and thus limit what God would do in our lives because of those earthly barriers. Okay, and then here's the other encouragement. It comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians. He said, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So on the day when the hard work does seem hard, or the day that you're looking at your little crop of seeds and it doesn't seem like they're sprouting on time, uh, or the day that it's cloudy or blizzardy or whatever the problem is in your life, that's the moment you think about this. And you say, you know what? My job is to be faithful with what I have, to work as hard as I can for the kingdom, to be intentional with my next steps. But God is the one who makes the seeds grow. So Lord, would you keep doing your work in my heart and through my work? Um, Lord, because this isn't all about what you do, what I do, what the church does. This is about God doing miracles among us and making those seeds sprout. So would you join me in prayer as we think about this? And um, I invite you to join us in thinking 
without limitation about what God can do. Lord, this is all yours. The church is yours, the kingdom is yours, and our lives are yours. And we're so tempted to huddle up, use our own understanding, do things our own way, believe the naysayers. Lord, in this moment, I pray that you would give us a fresh vision of faith to step over the barriers, to trust you, to look beyond our current capacity, and to think about where you might want to take us in the future. Lord, to multiply something 10,000 times or to just love one more person, would you help us to think the way that you think, to see the bigger picture? We never want to be tied down by traditions or systems or mentalities. Lord, we don't even want to freeze frame something good that we have and just hold on to it. We, we know that things will change and that there is a future that we're supposed to pursue. So please give us the faith to walk into that future boldly. We look forward to discovering where you will lead us. In Jesus' name. All right, God bless you. We'll see you next week for the conclusion of the Limitless series.